<coughs> the uh, preparation with some uh, time for practice, we can approach the uh, art of the Buddhist teaching of the Four Noble Truths. These can be underestimated, but they're uh, very profound and deep, and they tend to be that which the Buddha presents when people have done enough preparatory work to get their views, their attitudes, uh, their aspirations, their aims and energies sort of in the right place, in the right balance. And there are, so the first noble truth, which really itself takes quite a bit of explaining, um, or penetration, is not such a simple thing. It's dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, Incompleteness, suffering, pain, trouble, conflict, strife, stress, pressure, burden, you know, something needs to be done, something needed, something is needed, something complete. So we can't stress to find resolution and answer. And uh, this is, of course, what <clears throat> most people are involved with, trying to find some resolutions to various forms of this, whether it's conflict with other people, or physical discomfort, or mental uncertainty, or, you know, and so this, is, this itself is, is something that is to be focused on and, and penetrated in depth. And the beauty of it is it's such a common experience, um, you know, the Buddha, they are something we can all change it and feel concerned about ourselves and others. So the, the features of the first noble truth is first of all the obvious stuff in our birth. Birth is dukkha because why? Because we we enter into a world of incompleteness, strife, conflict, and which is marked by the tests and trials of life and death. And separation from the known. Once you're born, you're separate on some level. You know, you're, you're out of your mother's body. You've got a finite form. You know, in some ways, on a condition level, on a you're, you're, you're on your own. <laughs> and uh, so then, there's a sense of uh, what do I take comfort in? What do I rest in? What do I find to support? This is birth. Aging, sickness, death, um, not getting what we want is dukkha, getting what we don't want is dukkha, separation from what we are, are pleased by is dukkha. This occurs on all levels, physical, psychological, emotional, and so on. Um, then the more profound, this is what we call fairly mundane, and we may spend a great deal of our lives uh, skillfully or unskillfully attempting to remedy this. And this itself, you know, we can find skillful remedies to make the best out of this, to live a, a life that is free from blame or regret. Uh, to, um, yeah, to experience a sense of companionship and friendship, some, some, some of the sense of separateness is allayed. We feel we have reliable uh, sources for our uh, refuge. Times are hard. And so, this is itself is not a bad thing to approach it with a mundane level. And 
certainly meditation has this benefit in that you know, one can experience a sense of uh, peace and calm within that and well-being within that. Uh, but then the more super mundane is the language we barely understand. Uh, it's called the uh, attachment or clinging or padana. I use the Pali because I have to keep using different English words to try and capture it. Upadana, uh, feeding on, adopting, uh, contracting around, holding on to, pushing away. Uh, these, what are called five kanda. Kanda means something like a heap. On aggregate, the meaning being that, although we say there are five of them, each of them is actually a composite of different things. So it's not like five single things, but five mixes. Yeah. And as I contemplated, even these mixes themselves seem to break up into more and more tiny fragments, like sandcastles. You know, you one sandcastle and actually it's made up of, of masses and you can break it down into sand grains, which becomes almost innumerable. And you five so it's the sense of trying to shape up and make solid or consistent or reliable or own or you know, all that around these five thunder. And this is also, it just doesn't say the problem is you are clinging to these five thunder. It says the problem is there is this upadana. And out of this upadana arises the sense of I am. I am, in me sense, comes after or as a, as a consequence of this kind of uh, almost automatic, seemingly automatic process. Yeah. It seems automatic. It seems no other alternative. It seems this is just the way experience is. Uh, and the I am then comes, takes some kind of form attitude or inclination dependent upon that process. So we take the I am out of the picture for a moment because that's not really uh, what you what what we what we deal with. We deal with just the the, the mechanism of it. And the um is can be seen in terms of uh, the contraction around sense data sense of favoring, rejecting, as uh, you've seen just with what the eye does, or the eye with attention does, how it, out of a uniform visual field, it, it contracts and forms discrete separate objects. That's, that's what attention does. That's that. Now, that may not be too much of a problem. You see, well, you've got to see something, and this is true. But around that, then it becomes the favoring or rejection or that's there, I'm here. You know? What do I do about that thing? Do I like it? So it starts to get this kind of wavering you know, curves around what we see or what we hear. And what we see we take as something, a separate object that one can then not just see it, but hold it, eat it, taste it, you know, whatever comes a three-dimensional thing out of out of that. And so our life tends to operate around the spaces. Now that's that's an example of this 
automatic in automatic reflex. So we've seen, experimented with just how we can change that with the holding the gaze steady and noticing this kind of twitch or reflex that wants to form something up. Find something definite to be there. We mm. see something definite, something in me feels a bit more in the sense of a little bit more solid in relationship to that which is seen. The I am arises out of this forming of attention and there's a kind of intention or motivation to do that. Um, now, although we can consciously work with attention, the uh, fundamental thing that Paul is emphasizing is intention and uh, what's called the source of dukkha is an intention drive, you could say, that is flavoured or driven with thirst, hunger, need, tanha. There's something almost pathological, instinctive about this, this trying to hold. Tanha. And it's not like a conscious motivation, which is chanda, which can be useful. We, de we deliberately decide something we're interested in something. This is something like a reflex. Well, you know, you feel there's this feeling of drawing into that object or pushing away from it. You know, this, this says this is actually where the very be beginning of the process of getting into stress occurs. And, you know, that takes a little bit of working on to see that because the average person thinks no it's not what I'm the inclination that is that is a terrible thing you know that is some as a desirable thing that object there is desirable it's not that I'm particularly obsessive it just is desirable it's that solid so you, you know you try to play with that really well what about when it breaks up what about well you know it's subject to change isn't it and what does it feel like to have experience of uh, desirable uh, objects that you feel drawn towards? Isn't that somewhat uh, tiring, uh, agitating? And as we've done this thousands of times, I'm sure, uh, not necessarily you know, in a gross way, but does it get to the place that, ah, does it stay there? Is that, that's what we would like, wouldn't it? Satisfaction. Does it get there? Obviously a little bit, otherwise it wouldn't do it at all. But how the satisfaction moment is quite brief, uh, and there's a decline of that. <coughs> um, this tanha, of course, is not just attraction around sense objects, this also uh, occurs around... Um, Favoring and taking up position, favoring or rejecting, occurs uh, around systems, customs, techniques, strategies, routines, um, you know, where the sense one gets kind of, oh, this is the right way to do it. We do this every Tuesday, or um, so this is the right time of day when we do this. You know, 
manners, customs, which are useful, but there's going to be a real clinging to them whereby we feel really wobbly and uncertain if, if that doesn't happen, or the routines change, or systems aren't the way we like them to be. We don't necessarily even know we're in a system until you come to a place where it isn't happening, and it's going on. So these these are aspects of upadana. So this this thirst, uh, this movement to find security, stability, happiness in some apparent object, an object that manifests, whether it's a mental object, an idea, uh, knowledge, uh, belief, religion mental object, or visual object, tactile object, there's plenty of scope for Anhar to get working. It's not necessarily raging, either. It can be quite subtle. Um, so the third noble truth is called the dispassionate uh, fading. Relinquishment, giving up, release from tantra. That not yeah. So that's the third noble truth. Now she see it's not release from clinging. Um, that's a consequence. Release as turning off the tanha, uh, and then the mechanism relaxes because the mechanism is driven by this tanha. Uh, uh, so, if you switch off the current, like electricity, you switch off the current, then the mechanism doesn't operate. That's quite significant. And then there's the eightfold path, which one can spend much of a lifetime talking about and explaining, and I'll just put it to one side for now. But this is certainly the whole life path, not just a sitting retreat, but a whole life path. And hopefully, retreats can give one some insights into how to adjust, re reform, look into one's life, and see the validity of um, looking at craving or thirst and identity and contractions and holding and how we work that out in our daily life. Now the, the aggregates, back to those again, this, this is the presentation. Uh, uh, this is, we have rupa, form, uh, vedana, feeling, sanya, perception, Sankara, translators, formations, activities. I sometimes use the word programs, and we'll get back to that. It's a very significant one. And consciousness. When you say consciousness, you should, in English, you should probably say consciousness of, consciousness of seeing, consciousness of hearing, consciousness of. Yeah. So it's that which operating through the sense fields 
brings them in, brings something into your chitta. And of course, you know, of the sense fields, the visual field is only open some of the time. You close that. Taste, not much of the time. Old fact, nose consciousness, not much of the time. The one that doesn't seem to ever close down is the mind consciousness. You can't have, don't have lids on it. <laughs> so that's kind of firing all the time. Whereas you close your eyes, you don't, you're not really absorbed into visual phenomena. So one's conscious of mental phenomena. Conscious arises primarily uh, with mental, because, and then because this oscillation, between seeing and you know mental activity around that, as I said, seeing involves seeing the eyes and the mind. Right? So the mind sits behind the other sense bases, and through its attention determines, and through its intention gets motivated to this and to that. Yeah? Now these qualities of attention, and intention, that's what sankhara is about. There's another one called contact, which is the way something is immediately uh, allocated, transferred. Oh, that's one of those. That's an action. Oh, that's so-and-so. That's one of those kind of flicker of activity that designates something. It's a pair. That's a, you know, what kind of dog is it? You know, and then the sanya comes up. Oh, it's uh, one of those, the label. Anyway, the main thing is to the sankara, which is occurring in primarily in the mind, mental consciousness, and uh, because it's occurring in the mind, it's you can see there is the activities that bring continue bringing objects, phenomena, generating phenomena. And bringing the impingement into our chitta, which then vibrates and starts doing stuff, starts throwing out more intentions. So, you know, yeah. rupa shape form can be obviously a visual form, is the most common one. But there are also auditory forms, sound bursts into the ear. Uh, flavor arises in the tongue. Mental object, thought, is a mental form. Suddenly something crystallizes. It takes a particular shape, a uh, form, seeming solidity. Even though the solidity is relatively brief, particularly with mental objects, it tends to pop up like a bubble and then. And it could pop up again. See that these, these good mental objects are, are, have a certain uh, solidity, or, or even it's kind of transient solidity to them. Sometimes they're extreme, extremely solid, you know, weighty. So you have this, and you have consciousness. So the once we're born into this experience, then there's this consciousness is switched on with the program or the sankara, the basic program to 
discern forms on a sensory basis. That's its program. That's the Sankara. It's a fundamental intentionality. That's a fundamental inclination of attention to find forms within the sense spheres. It's not a conscious decision. It's, it's a program. Yeah. And so this program means we imagine or we assume there's nothing but the sense spheres because that's, that's, that's the default. Visual things, tactile things, auditory things, and a certain range of mental things, mental phenomena. That's 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 reality. Call it reality. And what we notice with that is it's always oscillating, shifting. Um, even when it's fairly calm, it's certain pulsing, oscillating. This reality, existence, is a, is a pulsing, vibrating, moving, waving, patterning thing, like clouds. have a certain solidity to it, but those clouds are moving and morphing and shifting. They don't exactly begin, they don't exactly end, they arise. So take form, occupy, subside, they evaporate. Quickly or slowly, they don't really begin anywhere. They just start to form, have a form, and pass. That's uh, and a life is like that. And if we become calmed down, we see it more in a more slow, composed way. It's not so bombing. Uh, it's and so with that calming, one's able to discern this is the arising of a thought, the arising of a mood, crystallizing, forming, and then whatever gets invested in that, and it subsides. Now, that's, that's the basis, but uh, um, the program is a little more complex than that, because it's also not just to have the experience of form arising and passing, but to feel something about it experience feeling that's part of the program switched on feeling and when feeling starts occurring then this gets the jitter really starts jumping around and uh, starts to generate kinds of perceptions impressions attitudes more drives more motivation so it gets pretty uh, mobile and exciting or desperate in there some of these are feelings come directly from bodily impact, uh, but they will go through the channel of mental designation, perception. And these, so this is the five are playing around and they're weaving and they're mobile and they're binding. And so it seems it seems with nothing but these occurring and how do you straighten it out how does it get steady or peaceful or calm well yeah you can certainly get relatively steady and peaceful and calm uh, still that is changeable isn't it um, it changes and it's compounded that is it requires some handling to get it there 
and its libel to kind of shift and change, it must shift and change. So though this is a helpful place, our workshop could be being more calm and composed, the aim is not really calm is giving some kind of ultimate refuge or even ultimate goal, but enough calm, enough feeling good enough to be able to use the wisdom faculty to discern um, tanha and clinging, cra uh, craving, thirst and contractions. Um, and because these seemingly automatic processes are not as automatic as we may assume. And uh, we do recognize just with wise introspection that, yeah, you know, certain themes that I was really on fire about 10 years ago, they don't get me anymore. You know, the ten half of that one's gone. I've grown out of chocolate bunnies or something. Sports cars, whatever it is. But it's still pretty hot on this one. So we do notice the objects are really not the source of craving. They're, they're the, what craving projects on you. The source of craving is the sense that I will be gratified by this. And unfortunately, that doesn't bear up. Therefore, really the, the big remedy of, of, of um, craving is to become more dispassionate about the process. More wise, less enchanted with it, with the process. It's like this now. And it changes. In a way, that's a kind of very simple <laughs> remedy, isn't it? But what does it take to get this that sense of this fashion. Very often the near misses are, I must let go. I really want to try and let go of that. That's what kind of called a near miss. It's not a bad aspiration. But, um, no, that's not quite there because getting to the, why can't I let go? I must be a dick, I'm a kind of person who needs to let go and I, I have so many things I'm attached to. Well, the I am is the problem. Could it just be, this is attachment. It works like this. There's some suffering again, about to suffer. There it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's suffering. Uh-huh. And instead of, oh, I'm suffering, why should I suffer? Oh, silly me. I'm so attached to vile, corrupted being. You know, so he just is the suffering, and uh, you know, getting it, and just letting that teach us in a way, teaching us some, teaching the chitta. not by the reaction to it or the identification with it but by the, just the cool acknowledgement. And with that cool acknowledgement, what is not occurring 
is the sankara of passion, sankara of engagement, sankara of identification. When that is not occurring, it's like we've switched off, or what has switched off is the very current that keeps the thing going. You know, switch something. The, the power has been switched off because the whole process of this is sankara driven. Sankara is a driving uh, mechanism program in, in this whole wheel, this whole conundrum, this whole tangle, Sankara. Sankara is the intention, attention, designation. So if we designate something as desirable, undesirable, then that's so. Like this, so there's a little bit of switching off, isn't it? What one gives attention to repeatedly becomes an obsession. Can so we perhaps recognize this? I mean, yeah, so broaden, broaden the view, broaden the view, get obsessed about. You know, an idea or a philosophy or even a custom or a tradition or, you know, you name it, it's plenty there. With the mind, it's almost infinite the possibility to get obsessed. Obsessed about duties, and some of these are very, you begin to acknowledge a certain almost personal footprints on these, an obsessive doer. Obsessive, can't do it. I can no, I can't. Whatever it is, I can't do it. I'm not capable. Or obsessive, I've got to do. It's up to me to do it. Busy people have get that program gets obsessive. Um, blame, you know, the pathology of blaming. Yeah, it gets all this sort of thing. So you just start to notice, hey. This broader, when you feel anything starts to become sort of really luminous and got some glow in it, you know, it's got some energy in it, it's got some definite kind of compulsion, some definite solidity in it. I am this, this is who I am. Uh-huh. There's where we need to, with our wisdom faculty, this is why I'm training that, you find these little points that you can sense in the whole of the conundrum. Because it's like, you know, you can imagine that all this room is wired up with cables and there's stuck lights and videos and sounds and broadcasting going on and animation. And, Gee, there's so much going on here. And you go around, where should I, well, you know, which, where should we switch it off? Go to the plug on the wall. Don't fight with the cartoons on the, <laughs> you know. Don't just smash the light bulbs. Uh, you switch the thing off. It's plugged there. <laughs> but we're going, well, look at that. I can't stand the sight of that. Yeah. That's a really nice sound. You know? <laughs> uh, so one gets either fascinated by it or repelled by it. Or what's that all about? 
Look at that. My goodness. How does that affect that? How does the cables work? Look at the cable. See that where that is? You know, so you get even involved in Buddhist philosophy. You get to be a you know a cable specialist. <laughs> Look, there's a plug there to switch it off. You know? But we don't see the plug. It's a little thing on the wall. So that's why we need that sense of broadening, widening, even softening attention. So attention gets driven into uh, compulsive patterns, compulsive focuses. So if you soften a little bit, it's, what am I not seeing here in this picture? I'm seeing the things which really the you know the hot stuff is happening. But actually, that's true. That is a problem. There is an obsession, but you don't find the off switch in there. You find that you put a softer place somewhere else that you don't necessarily, your attention doesn't pick up. And it's not like this, you know, we might have a problem, and we look to that problem, and we witness that problem, and we lamented about that problem, and we studied that problem, and we fought with that problem, and struggled with that problem, uh, you know, and then you go, oh, can't do anything about it. What to do about it? And maybe the answer is well, we just relax a little and uh, bring up the quality of goodwill. It's not. It doesn't seem that you're changing the temperature of the mind. Sometimes it's like that. Just changing the temperature, becoming. More dispassionate. Everybody gets this. You know, rather than I've got, I have this, this is my problem, I'm like this, I'm so this, that, or the other. This is humans. It's like this now. So, you know, that's just talking about uh, examples, so just bring this into my, out of my head right now. And, you know, this is why we sometimes do need spiritual friends to say, well, actually, do you see this bit? No. How, not what the problem is, but how you're relating to the problem, um, what you're missing out, what you're missing out in, in, that, in that perspective. Because our attention gets blocked. So this sense of, you know, and I, because ideally you're trying to work around it so that you can do this process yourself, in your own experience. What am I missing now? Where's the softer spot? Where's the lighter touch? So we like physical pain and you feel the contraction of that pain, you don't like the pain. You try to find the area of the pain which is minimal. Generally pain has a, a, a band, range of pain. Leg on arm, and you can feel it pulsing in your upper arm, and right down in your fingers, you feel a slight tingle. Just start with a slight tingle, and start relaxing there, and gradually look up. You don't go to the, the strength of the problem, you go to where you can access and just get some leverage on it. 
uh, example, because it's holistic, it's not just you know the thing, but the relationship to experience. It covers everything. So sometimes the relationship experience is just, well, just be more patient. So rather than the phenomenon, it's the relationship to the phenomenon. Patient, dispassionate, compassionate, these sorts of gestures. And again, in our practice, we're just using some deliberate systems and words and encouragements to just get these tools up and running. Patience, faith, confidence, energy, compassion, loving kindness. So they're there, and the shift is becoming a little more uh, ample, rather than just in this rather limited form, where it just like a child clutches onto something. It's got no wisdom; it just clutches onto what happens and starts reacting to it. So this is where Sankara is really the uh, crucial um, key to to this undoing. uh, Buddha's last words, all Sankaras are subject to dissolution. Uh, Cultivate with vigilance. Sankara's subject to dissolution. These programs that seem so me, so much my problem and character and automatic and are actually subject to dissolution. They, they can dissolve. But what's required is the process viveka, withdrawal, you step back and you begin to get a sense of observing, witnessing, sensing, feeling, you know, whatever. Um, and this sense of no no goal at that time. Um, as as in accordance with our capacity to do so. Very strongly recognizing the benefit of, of standing back in the body to experience things, standing on the plane of goodwill, you know, a place where we can stand. Um, Viveka, Viraga, dispassion, become less frantic, uh, less judgmental, less opinionated about oneself or others or a state of mind. That sense of things get less intense when we're less, when we are less intense, when our jitter is less intense. And this itself, yeah, you can train it to recognize Sometimes it really is a process of just bearing with until the chitta begins to recognize this does change, this does fade, and therefore one's a little more dispassionate about the arising. This is everybody's. One becomes a little less embarrassed or flustered about the arising. So these are qualities, dispassion, withdrawal, and it's called Niroda, which is to do with the, course, literally ceasing. And it's um, drop by drop, diminution or of adding to. 
stopping agency, essentially. Now, you just bear it in mind, when there's this, this passion, temperature goes down, perhaps it's just a little less reactively and jumping in. A little less, got to do something, got to stop it, less got to about it. So, bear this in mind, kind of thinking through, lessening the input. Lessening the input. As I've said, do as little as possible. What you have, what is necessary, do fully, with good intention. What seems necessary, because you never really know, but what seems necessary to you, in your maturity, do that with full intention, and recognize it might not be 100% right, as good as you can get now, and learn that that was overdoing it, or I missed this bit out. Learn, you know, firm enough to get the virya application uh, is something you feel confidence in. And you learn, because we can't start from being enlightened. And gradually you see there's certain things you don't need to do, you don't need to worry, you don't need to guilty, you don't need to, you know, so this is me rolled in a very practical way, less input, because the more input, the more layers get built on top of what was already problematic. So what was it, little heat becomes a big heat. Uh, this is kind of ordinary, you know, put, trying to put it in ordinary terms. This, because really what's happening is not, none of this is solid, it's all in flow. So you can imagine something like a, a, a current flowing or a, a wheel turning, and the input just keeps kicking the wheel spinning it. You can keep it forward or you can keep it back. So that's the movement of the push it forward the wheel still keeps turning. If you don't kick it, the wheel sort of turns and turns and slows down and slows down and slows down. Stops. So now it's not I stop it. It's just that the less intentionality and attention goes into that, and again, this is something we have to qualify, then the thing, the switching off the current, stops. doesn't maybe stop like that, but it, some, of it, some of it may stop like that. You may suddenly, something in your mind is, oh, gives up, stops. And uh, the what you're dealing with seems to be there less intensely and it sort of subsides in place. And so, you know, this neuroda is possibility. Bear it in mind. The end of suffering is possible. And this may not be like the complete end of all suffering, but just this one. And then, you know, the more the chitta learns that, then there's the possibility of increasing that scope and deepening that that uh, that possibility.